Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, it is much better paid than clubs. It always will be. Um, once you've got to the point where you can sustain a comedy tour, a theatre tour, with little or no production costs, then you can earn similar or, if you really break, more money than on the corporate scene. But for a long, long, long time, the corporate world has sort of uh, regarded itself as the part of the industry where all talent makes the most money. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 42. I'm Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the corporate circuit. Jeremy Lee founded JLA over 20 years ago, and today they are the biggest corporate booker in the UK. A lot of ex-prime ministers, comedians, and performers all go through them to get themselves speaking arrangements and public speaking arrangements. I got him on to talk about specifically the comedian section of that and how you crack into that circuit. And I think it's a really interesting interview. You get a lot of information about how the circuit operates, what they're looking for, what they're not looking for. And it will be great for any pro acts or developing acts who want to crack into this circuit because, as he points out, it's a very lucrative circuit, but also it's a very challenging circuit in a completely different way to the club circuit that we're all pretty used to. If you would like to support this podcast, please do remember to subscribe for more episodes like this or give it an honest review in iTunes. All of them really help and future guests are reading them, so it would be great if we could get a few more of those on there. Also, please remember that my book, How to Make a Living by Working for Free, is available on Indiegogo and it's £5 for a digital copy or £8 for a paperback copy. The book is a how-to guide for artists and freelancers on how to create an audience for something they do by giving some of it away for free online and then asking their audience to sustain them because they want to keep them creating. So if you found this podcast interesting or you've been enjoying it in any way, that's proved the first part of the book, which is about how to create an audience for what you're doing. And now I'm using the second part of my book. And now I'm using the second part of the book to ask you to support me so that I can continue creating things. And in turn, the book hopes to give you the tools that allow you to do the same for yourself. So if you're an artist listening to this or a freelancer 
and you would like to learn the tools to create yourself an audience and a community around what you do that will hopefully sustain you in the long run, why not give it a try? There's a free sample of the book in audio and PDF formats. If you take a look in the show notes or on my website, then you can find it there. I won't say much more because this is a great interview and I don't want to make it any longer than it has to be. So without any more delays, this is Jeremy Lee. Uh, what about liking missing things? Well, I, I, I don't think you said it in so many words, but you said not necessarily a fan of podcasts. Oh, goodness me. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm uh, you know, about to uh, be introduced to the exciting world of podcasts. Um, uh, I'm open-minded. However... Uh, what I was saying is that I very, very much like things being scheduled for me. I believe in rushing to get home to see something that comes on at, at 10 o'clock. Or, you know, actually, i tell you what it is. I love missing shows. I love the thought that, oh, bucker, I was out last night and I missed such and such. Um, it, it makes it exciting. It's, I, 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 I'll tell you what I mean. It's um, once you have enough money in your pocket, going into a sweet shop is nowhere near as exciting. I get what you mean. Yeah? Yeah. And I'm not being flash about this because there are many shops I could go into and not be able to afford anything. But frankly, I can go into a sweet shop and buy whatever the hell I want. Yeah? Mm. Where's the joy in that? There's a little, little tiny bit of excitement as you bite into uh, a criminally reduced Yorkie bar or something. Mm. Um, but it's, it's pretty marginal. And buying two Yorkie bars doesn't do the trick. No. Um, I, I, so what I mean is, um, if there's too much stuff around, then there's less excitement. And the idea of something being broadcast once and then missed is hugely exciting to me. And I don't think I'm the only one. No, I don't think you're alone. But I, I, I suppose I'm so used to everything being on demand, like in my life, that... Everything? Everything. As in, well, content, everything? Content-wise, content-wise. Oh, right, I see, right. Everything. So, so radio, TV, music, films, anything, kind mm. of thing like that. Distractions, kind of thing. I, I'm so used to them being so in demand, like on demand. I would say you're missing out on a huge amount of stuff. Well, I mean, you must be missing yeah. out on a huge amount because you're consuming a huge amount. Yeah. You're just doing it in a way that you think is very discriminating and I imagine takes on board other people's recommendations, but not opening your eyes as much as you might to something that's outside your obvious area of interest. Whereas, if you sit down of an evening, switch on the television, and just watch whatever the BBC One or Two scheduler has told you about, or has decided to put on, then, you know, you are going to learn something, you are going to watch something you would otherwise have missed. I think, I think like you said, it's generational, but I think the difference is, I've done that, like pre-internet, I would sit down and watch TV, and I would find myself watching stuff for the sake of it rather than doing something for myself or like going out and as a result I've now got in my head that if I just sit and watch TV I might waste my life and time so as a result I can't I can't do that because I I feel like 
the internet's allowed me to find so many niche interests of mine and yes. filter it yeah. that I don't, I don't almost want the curation of someone else. Well, so, uh, the word curation makes me very nervous. It's okay. one of those overused words like iconic, uh, which I can't legend. bring myself to say. Legend, any of those things which make me feel nauseous. Um, you've obviously cracked it. You've obviously worked out how to use the internet. I think, I think most people haven't. I think they probably consume more content, so-called, than they would once have done. Uh, and they might think they're being terribly selective, but they're just consuming more. Mm. Um, so I don't think it helps them to go out or indeed to engage in conversation or um, you know, learn to watch comedy live, for instance. Mm. All kinds of things you should be doing. I, don't, what, I, I read in the last day... About young Americans, this is a bit of a hobby horse of mine, not young Americans <laughs> about whom uh, my say. comments uh, should, should, should not be broadcast. But um, I'd heard, this is to do with the uh, primary that was held last night in New Hampshire, mm. and uh, young Americans in particular were terribly impressed uh, watching clips of old Bernie Sanders' speeches because he has always said the same thing about whatever it was. Yep. Yep. And they could get instant access to what this man has ever said in front of a camera. Now, that begs so many questions. Is that a useful uh, way of spending their time? Um, are they looking at the wrong thing? You know, do we want politicians who um, have always stuck, stuck to the same line? Or do we want politicians who... You know whose views evolve in, a, in an evolving world. Brackets. Mm. I would argue we do. Close brackets. Um, so you know, spending time watching or listening to content is time that you could otherwise be spending uh, wasting time staring at the wall. Yeah, I hear what you say. It's. A, uh, I saw the same thing happen with Jeremy Corbyn recently, where um, some people found some archive footage yes. of stuff he'd said twenty or thirty years ago, yes. and they were like. Oh my God, he's always been saying this stuff. And you're well, like, well, he's been on the back bench, so you haven't noticed him, have you? If they say we've always been talking about this sort of stuff as a positive, um, mm. then in, in my view, they're in need of uh, brutal re-education. Um, it, 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 it's that point. I mean, you know, why, why comics aren't laying into this man more than they are um, confuses me somewhat. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, an absolutely ludicrous figure of a man. Um, but not least because he has always said the same things. Wow, you know, there's a man who formed an idea. You know, he'll be 60, 60 he'll be 70 if he makes it to the next election. Um, you know, whose ideas haven't changed about, you know, nuclear disarmament and all these things. When everybody else has moved on. Now, if you've never, you know, this is where, of course, I, I'm in danger of I think I've probably already done it, so I might as well carry on, sounding like a, a grumpy 53-year-old. <laughs> the point being um, that uh, you know, some arguments, even if, even if they happened before you were born, some arguments have been won, some have been lost, and still to be going on about the same old argument strikes me as ideal fodder for comedy. Yeah? I mean, yeah. A- absolutely ideal. Because, um, you know, the notion that, that parts of the media, not, not many parts of the media, admittedly, but, you know, lots of people, um, I can hardly say this without, you know, raising both eyebrows, 
uh, they think that Corbyn and Sanders in the States are breaths of fresh air um, is just the most extraordinarily ironic and idiotic view to take. They're not. They're dinosaurs. It's just that you haven't heard these arguments before. But they've been won or lost, depending on your view. Anyway, we're, we're probably sliding away from we're the subject. We're sliding off topic, yeah. I didn't bring it up, I have no, to say. No, no. Somebody, somebody whispered to me before I came into the room, Simon, said, uh, <laughs> so whatever you do, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about politics. Okay. And, and I have, so I assume we're going to wipe everything I've just said. We, we can wipe it, or I, I can leave some of it in. I feel like some of it might be, because I, I, I like... I liked your take on, on content and, and your opinion on scheduling, for example. It's uh, refreshing. Or is, or is it? it could just be uh, well, quite, no. I mean, a relic it, from a... <laughs> it's refreshingly old-fashioned. Yeah, Let's compromise on that. I feel like I have to leave the whole thing in now because it's just a loop of a joke. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, oh, right. Well, I'll learn that then. I'll keep dropping things in. <laughs> in a sort of Harry Hill type way. Okay. Um, well, you you founded or one of the founders of JLA. Uh, indeed, I did. I did find it. What was, the, what was the reason for finding it? Uh, well, I used to work for a large uh, mass market leisure company mm. back in the day. And uh, they were being taken over by another one. Um, and I just had that opportunity of asking myself uh, whether I saw myself as a corporate animal. Um, you know, maybe a bit like somebody who's always worked for the BBC you get an opportunity to see that there's life outside. Uh, and I took it. But I didn't have any great zeal to set up an agency. Um, I, I, it sort of, it was either that or, I used to do bits and pieces of radio. Um, it was either that or taking my demo tape and hiring a Winnebago and driving around small town America until somebody would let me have a tea time afternoon chat show. Um, and I went for the boring option, which was uh, 25 years ago. Right. Regret it? Um, no. Regrets are funny things, aren't there? There's an awful oh, yeah. lot of things I do regret. Okay. If people say, you know, I don't have any regrets, then they're... Lying. Yeah. I was going to say stupid. People. But, um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, you know, um, if, if, if you have no regrets, then... Uh, you know, th- th- that's not the same as saying that you're unhappy with the way things have turned out, because mm. I'm not. Um, I continue to be fascinated mm. uh, by what we as a company do. Okay. But yeah, I have regrets. Maybe should we talk about that on another podcast? We'll talk about another podcast. Yeah. No, it was just the way you said it, because I know a lot of performers uh, have ideas of starting something outside of performing. Yes. And so... Driving a like, cab or something. Yeah, something like that, you know. Yep. Um, but I just, it just felt like you were doing stuff on radio and then you just thought, I'll leave all of that and do that. So I thought it was an interesting... I, I, was, I was an interloper in radio, to be honest. Okay. And um, after one show, after being there for quite a few, well, for two years, um, uh, and sort of popping in and out the whole time, um, I, I made a ghastly mistake in the pub afterwards of um, telling everybody how much I fancied the barmaid. And uh, they'd spent two years assuming, you know, I was gay. And, um, and I just, I was ostracized after that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So... Another uh, podcast, we'll, we'll talk about that. You will talk Another about time. We'll have an yeah, entirely different podcast okay, where we talk about... A very different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it would be a totally different demographic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you describe what JLA does then? Because you said you're, you're, you're fascinated by it. I would love to know... I mean, I've read your website and I know what you guys do, but I'd love to know how you perceive the company and what you do? Uh, what we do is match 
audiences and uh, their organisers' objectives to talent in its broadest sense. Uh, and that started with comedy, purely and simply. Uh, it then extended out towards uh, after-dinner speakers or raconteurs was a word being used a lot at the time. Um, and now it extends way beyond that into you know former prime ministers and things like that. Um, but but I'm pretty happy grouping all those people under the under the umbrella of talent. So uh, somebody comes to us and they say, we want to inspire these people or we want to make these people laugh because they've had a really hard year and they've been working very hard. Uh, or we're hosting the such and such awards and uh, we want somebody to hold the evening together, present the awards and um, you know engage everybody even if they're not going to win anything. That's what we do. Okay. And the process for that is companies approach you and say, we have an event, or, or, or an individual maybe approach you and say, we have an event. It's, it's normally an organisation of some kind. We, right. we don't do a lot of uh, private things, you know, sort of private parties. We don't like parties very much at all, actually. Okay. Um, for good reasons, good reasons. This is one of those moments, comedy listeners, where I would hope you'll go, oh, yeah, it's got a point. Um, we, we, we like audiences who are sitting down and stand a chance of paying attention, um, which point. isn't the case at <laughs> a lot of parties. Yeah. Okay. So, so a, a, an organisation approaches you and says, we need a comedian, who, or for example, or we need someone who will make these people laugh. You then have a backlist of comedians that you go to, or do you discuss which? I mean, do they often have someone in mind? What's the? Um, uh, they sometimes have somebody in mind, but they rarely, if ever, contact JLA saying we want so and so. Right. Uh, it does happen, but it doesn't happen very much at all. Uh, they will express some preferences. Um, they will tell us who they've had last time. Uh, chances are, without wanting to sound um, complacent, um, we've booked the gig for several years, so we know who they've had, uh, and, and we're quite thorough in getting feedback. So, uh, and ideally, uh, you know, the agent uh, dealing with it here uh, will have been to the gig. If it's a big gig, I certainly hope they will have done. So we'll know the gig, and uh, therefore know who will work best, in our judgment, based on the feedback, and to some degree based on their budget. So when someone starts out, so say, say you were booking someone for the first time, yeah. and you've maybe seen them perform at a comedy club before, yeah. or, or would you have seen them in a comedy club, or would you have just watched a video? What's your... Somebody, I mean, you know, we're a, we're, uh, um, there are 30 of us here uh, mm. these days, so I think I can safely say that, that they will have been seen Mm-hmm. either by our researcher or others within the office. Right. I don't think we would be happy recommending somebody uh, unless they've you know, uh, run a country um, just on the basis of uh, a clip on YouTube or wherever. Okay. And so if you... Well, say, say you were a comedian who wanted to do corporate gigs. What is the way that they should get in touch with you and what is probably the method or why why would someone like because we've talked about this before before on the phone like the reasons beyond monetary obviously um reasons for doing corporate gigs why would you say a comedian would want to do a corporate gig um money has to be the obvious one uh Mm. it's it's a bit silly to pretend otherwise um i see 
Corporate gigs have certain defining characteristics, but before you get to any of those, um, you have to accept the fact that, in many ways, they are no different to any other kind of audience. So the starting point is you've got a room full of human beings. Yeah? Mm. So why be scared of them? Um, why treat them any differently? Um, I, I, you know, I can answer those questions. There are reasons to be fearful of them, and there are reasons to treat mm. them slightly differently. But at heart, mm. they're just human beings who are mostly up for a laugh. Mm. So why would you want to do that from a comics point of view, apart from the money? Um, uh, I've never been a stand-up, so um, uh, either make allowances or, or disagree with everything I'm saying for that reason. Um, I think that playing an audience which hasn't come to see comedy and who don't know who you are is uh, appalling word sexier than playing a room full of fans or even a room full of comedy fans or a room full of festival goers because you are going to walk out of there uh, on their shoulders. You, you are going to uh, walk out of there with new fans. It's, 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 it's the notion about preaching to the converted as against winning new, new followers. How exciting must it be to, you know, to, to drive away from Grosvenor House in the back of a cab knowing that you've just entertained 1,100 people and half of them at least will be leaning over their metaphorical garden fence if they can afford one uh, and telling their neighbours, oh, you'll never guess who I saw last night. He's brilliant. I don't know why he's not a bigger name. Yep. Um, and that has to be exciting unless you want it easy your whole life. I get that. No, no, I get that because I've, I've spoken to comedians who have established a, a base of audience before and they say, uh, well, they don't say it's easy because it's not easy, but they, but they say that, you know, when you've got a group of people that are coming to see you on a regular basis, like you said, you are preaching to the converted. And in some ways you can have more fun with that because they sort of know your point of view, they know your background, your history, so you can have, you know, maybe you can push ideas a bit further with them because they're sort of on your wavelength in comedy. But I suppose, yeah, if you're... If you're talking to a group of people that don't know who you are, there's... Yeah, I can see why that would be quite appealing. I mean, let's boil it down to two words, money and challenge. Okay. And um, if you were to uh, draw that as an infographic, uh, money, <laughs> I suppose, would be rather bigger uh, than the word challenge. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, winning over a room. Um, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, that's what it should be about in general in comedy. Like if you when you when you go out on a if I go, if I go and do a club or an open spot at a club that has never booked me before in a new area of the country I've never gigged in, mm -hmm. I go out on the assumption that at least ten percent of the room are going to hate me because statistically not everyone's going to like me, and then the other ninety percent are out for grabs. Sounds fair enough to me. I'll go along with that. <laughs> um, I think ten percent is me being very, very liberal. <laughs> I, I'm my eyebrows are pretty damn steady at the moment. I'm mm. uh, I take everything you say, Sam, as okay. gospel. <laughs> um, the uh, you made a point about um, you know how do people approach us, or uh, if I may, I'll take that in a, in a in a broader sense, as in how do they get started mm. doing corporate stuff. 
Um, and the answer to that is that you do not uh, <laughs> expect to do your first gig in the great room of Grosvenor House. You'll die a horrible, horrible death. Um, you want to learn that part of your trade, just like you learn every other part of your trade. And if I were doing it, I would... I'd go and watch a number of corporate gigs discreetly at the back of the room. I would, when I felt I was in the right place to do so, I would approach local firms of a certain size. Uh, I would do it for nothing if I had to do it for nothing, but I'd make sure the conditions were right. You know, there was decent sound and everybody could see me and they weren't all going to be pissed. Um... And I would invest my time in learning the tricks and building up confidence. And, um, and I do all of that way before, way before approaching anybody like JLA. Okay. And if they've done that, do they just, would they email you and say, this is my feedback from different companies? Or what, what's, because obviously, you know, I could I could go off and do that for mm-hmm. two years. Are we in fact talking about you, Simon? <laughs> well, I am the I am the archetype of comedian right. for the for the purposes of this interview. Right. I I have done a couple of corporate gigs, but I've never I've never really chased corporate work, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. So, for me, this is not necessarily something that uh, appeals right now to me. Fine. Um, so, for just the purposes of this, I'm playing I'm playing the devil's advocate comedian. Who wants to ask you questions? Okay, is that okay? No, that's that's fine. I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm I get it. Okay. Um, uh, so, what was your question? The que- the question was going to be: um, Is it okay? Because like when when you apply for gigs, generally speaking, you you can be selective with what you send in to people, so that you know the promoter knows that other promoters. So, say you say. I've gigged for these other promoters who that promoter knows so they can ask for a recommendation and stuff. I'm presuming you wouldn't ring up random small companies that I've done free gigs for and say, how was he? Like, it, how many laughs did he get per minute? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, no, we wouldn't do that, although I'm kind of tempted to now. Um, <laughs> I'll no, give you a list uh, of them after. Um, uh, no, we're not, that's not going to be of any great use or interest to us. Right. Um, you go and play smallish local corporate gigs just to find out whether you can. Right. Um, whether you can cope with that kind of audience, um, whether you're you know, comfortable with that amount of money in your pocket when you eventually get paid for them. Um, uh, your pitch to us uh, when you've done some uh, would be much more, you know, come and see me in a club um, or get your agent to do that. That, of course, opens up uh, many more cans of worms. Um, we don't tend to get approached by that many artists direct. Okay. Most of the time, we're going to be approached by people on their behalf. Do you prefer going for agents, or is, it, is that just the way that artists just aren't approaching you? I, I mean, there's a certain sort of economy to it. Um, and inevitably, yeah, if uh, we have a particular relationship with an agent, and they say... You've got to see so-and-so. They're not all Jewish anymore. Um, but if they say, you've got to see so-and-so, he's fabulous, then, you know, there's more chance that somebody will from here than if, if the same plea comes from somebody we've never heard of. 
you know that's 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 one of the reasons why talent you know needs agents uh, you know sometimes because of the clout they have um, but you know, don't have to come to us through an agent uh, what you have to do um, is to give us an opportunity to see you when you're ready to be seen I don't expect I'm, I, I, forgive me for if I get in you know just like somebody in court wanting other uh, crimes to be taken into account. Um, I'll just say once uh, that I apologise if any of what I said sounds uh, uh, patronising or uh, whatever. So that's on the record and uh, I won't mention it again. Um, I, will, I will crop that and make that the opening of the... Can you? Yeah, you that can be probably okay? you know, use it throughout in some <laughs> just clever... Keep pasting that in around... Technological kind of way. Do you, do you want to just uh, do, 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 like... Indemnify, uh, indemnify yourself now from everything, or do you want to just leave it? I've back? already said it. Okay, I'm, just that. You know, okay. I, it's, it's on the record. I don't feel a need to say it again. <laughs> okay. uh, my advice is, you'll find this really, really hard to take, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, my advice is uh, to get us to come and see you when you think you're shit hot, um, as opposed to your first few gigs in a new club. Because like it or not, that is going to form our impression of you. And contacting us a couple of years later saying, you know, I've now been gigging on the circuit for three years and I know what I'm doing, uh, might fall on deaf ears. Right. That's fair. Okay. Um, We've talked a little bit about... Uh, the fees that you get for corporate gigs. Now, obviously, it's going to vary wildly if you're an ex-prime minister, whereas if you're just doing your first gig and stuff. Yeah. Most comedians have sort of a ballpark figure for club work. Where, where on the scale does... A co- I mean, I spoke to a comedian. I don't know if I should mention who it is, but I, I spoke oh, to... A, go on. It was Adam Bloom. Uh, I don't know if you've worked with him before. He's really good. And he was telling me that uh, usually... You should be an agent. <laughs> Usually one corporate is sort of the equivalent of about 30 or 40 club gigs. Now, I don't know, I mean, I don't know whether those 30 or 40 are headline spots or opening spots or whatever. Where would you say, or what would you, if, if sort of people are curious on fees and things like that, where would you... I'd be surprised if we ever booked a comedian for less than a grand. Um, it would almost worry me if I saw an agent in the office doing that. Um, But you shouldn't misread that. Uh, It doesn't mean that we fling money at people in a uh, 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 random fashion. Uh, It means that we need to have built up confidence in that person, and to do so, they've probably built up quite a lot of experience. If they're getting a grand, then chances are they'll probably still see that as a reasonable amount of money, as indeed do I. Um, uh, but you're not going to walk straight into a corporate gig for a grand. You're good. That's my point about doing sort of local stuff, yeah. building up to it. Um, it is much better paid than clubs. It always will be. Um, once you've got to the point where you can sustain a comedy tour, a theatre tour, with little or no production costs, then you can earn similar, or if you really break, more money than on the corporate scene. 
But for a long, long, long time, the corporate world has sort of uh, regarded itself as the part of the industry where all talent makes the most money. Mm. Yeah, it certainly pays far more than telly. And you know, until O2 type gigs came along, um, or their equivalent, uh, it, it was still generally regarded that however big a name you are, you'll earn more money doing corporates than anything else. So that grant would that grant that grant would be to the comedian, or that would be your total for your your work as well as theirs, as well as an agent. And and how long would they be performing for on average in a? There's a lot of questions there. Yeah. Um, no, if I if I'm quoting a fee, I'm quoting the fee that that we would pay, as in as in expect to pay a minimum of. Right. I have to say it's very rare that we would pay that. Right. Um, uh, our our you know our, our corporate clients' average spend with us is very 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 much more than that. Right. Um, but as a sort of entry point for for stand-ups, that's that's what I mean. Um, then it's up to the artist and their agent. I don't know what their relationship is. I would hope that they don't pay their agent more than 15%. Okay. I, I don't know. I'd have to get more specific and ask another agent, but I'm not going to get into that. I mean, profile probably comes into it a bit. Like, if, uh, you know, certain comedians who have got TV credits or, like you said, have sold out tours and things like that. I mean, on the on the infographic or Venn diagram of profile versus experience on the circuit of corporate gigs, which one of those is the bigger circle, if that makes sense? Because, you know, you, you, I, there's a perception, I think, in performers in that if you have a certain level of profile, you might get more corporate work because they can go, we've got this TV name coming on and, you know, he's been on this and that and that and, you know, whatever. Whereas you might have someone who's amazing who does corporate gigs better than half the people who, who are just TV ready or, or gig club ready but don't have that level of profile because they've been building up their yeah. skills in that. Which one out of those two are yours? I'm, I'm keep trying to think of this in, in terms of the Venn diagram. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the point being, of course, that what we're really interested in is, is, is where the various things overlap. Right. Um, because the organisation spending the money wants to know that they're not taking an almighty risk. Yeah, it's one of the reasons for coming to us. Mm. Uh, the individual at that organization, in an extreme case, might even think that their job is on the line. Yeah. They perceive it as being the most... Well, let me put it another way. They would be right to see it as the most important thing that happens in the evening. Uh, the reason I say they'd be right to do so is that we've done surveys of these things and it is the most memorable thing. Why wouldn't it be? You're only going to remember the food if it's awful. You're not going to remember the set. You're not going to remember the flower arrangement in the middle of the table. Yep. You're going to remember, the, the, to answer your question, which I seem to ignore, the 10, 15, 20-minute set um, that you saw during the evening. That's the highlight. So it's important. Mm. Now, the problem comes, or challenge, if uh, we want to play with words, uh, when people associate profile with uh, talent or with uh, that comfortable feeling of reassurance. 
yeah, because it is a false correlation. Mm. And I mean, one interesting way of seeing it, and Simon and I are facing each other, so um, I don't know where to stick my hand in the air, but uh, if you look at it uh, as a graph um, and you put a big name on the stage, then audience expectation starts way up there. Oh my God, it's so and so. Yeah. And probably will only come down. Mm hmm. If it's somebody they've never heard of, never seen, or maybe, you know, they, they, they walk once on Mock the Week or something, um, then the graph's going to go the other way, yeah? Right. Uh, as in, you know, prove it to me, make me laugh. Oh, you can. Yeah. Oh, isn't he fabulous, yeah? And it becomes a discovery, and it's mm. blah, 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 blah. Now, if you throw into the mix our uh, expertise based on two things, based on the ability to subvert our own personal opinion, mm. yeah? And based on the phenomenal amount of feedback we get, and we book two and a half thousand gigs a year, so we get a lot of feedback. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't eliminate the risk, but it minimizes the risk. So we should know who will work, all other things being equal, in which room, within which budget, band, uh, uh, for which kind of audience. Mm. Um, I, I, and it's a wee bit more complicated than that, but those are the obvious factors that you throw in. Mm. So... The client, the corporate client that comes to us with a reasonable budget will probably start off thinking that they want to spend as much of it as they have to to get the biggest possible name they can because that gives them the best chance of achieving what they want to achieve, which is to have a happy audience with people laughing in the aisles. Mm. Yeah? Part of our job is to question... Uh, that that line that they draw between profile and how successful it's going to be. Yeah. So in a long-winded and pompous, I didn't apologise for being pompous before. I apologise for being patronising. So I apologise for being pompous. That's okay. Um, that's um, our role is to um, persuade them that actually it's about how good somebody's going to be, rather than how famous they are. So we put that above it, but we're not naive. Um, you know, we, 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 we appreciate uh, somebody's popularity growing and their, and their profile growing mm. uh, as much as anybody else. But i tell you one word that we never use in this office, apart from iconic. What was the other one? Legendary. Legendary. Um, uh, we, we don't use the C word in this office. There's a lot of C words that could be. What's the... They could, yes. Oh, no, we'll use that one. Yeah. Um, the word that isn't used in this office is the word celebrity. Okay. Um, you can swear on this, by the way. Because uh, <laughs> I, I don't yet have any need to. Right. Uh, but celebrity is sort of a swear word in our book. Right. Because it suggests profile without talent. Yeah. It's slightly unfair, but it, it's, it's the sort no, of lazy working definition we have. Yeah. Uh, so we work with an awful lot of headline people, fantastically big names, but generally speaking, only when they've got something else to offer beyond their fame. Mm. Our advice to a corporate client is that there are only a couple of reasons why you would want to book a big name. Yeah? And one is if you want to put bums on seats. And another is if you want everybody to go home and tell their neighbours, oh, I saw so-and-so last night. Mm. Yeah. Um, or if you want to invest the event 
with a certain sort of sort of brand association, for want of a right. better word. Yeah. But I can't immediately think of any other reasons. Okay. So if you don't need to do any of those things, then just think about not spending so much money. Right. And one of the things that happened in, in 2009, when people's budgets started being cut quite dramatically, we would get calls from organizations you know, who'd spent 10 grand the previous year at their gig. Um, and this time around, they were still doing it, because most people tried to carry on. Um, but, I, you know, I'm really sorry. I don't know if you're going to be able to help us, but, you know, I, I'm absolutely stuck and our budget isn't going to go a penny over two grand. Now, uh, we earn less money, which is um, a shame with such a good cause. But actually, uh, in, in a way that probably won't sound sincere, but, but happens to be, um, we kind of liked those days. Because what happens is, they know they couldn't afford a big name. Uh, a lot of fees came down, but they didn't come down that much. Mm. Yeah? They knew they couldn't afford a big name, so they were forced to open up their minds to having somebody who wasn't quite so famous, and perhaps not famous at all. And what happened after that? We would get call after call after call after call, insert the word email, <laughs> saying, uh, oh, they were brilliant. I've no idea why we spent 10, 15 grand last year. They were brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, point made. Mm. That's pretty cool, though. So that, means, so that means your books opened up a lot in 2009 to newer corporate performers. We didn't necessarily think of it like that. I know that's what you want me to say. Um, no, no, but, but seven years ago. I, it's, mean, it's, <laughs> I, I think, in effect, it, it's what happened. Okay. Um, you know, recessions are... are uh, powerful cleansing things and uh, we, we, we were, we are in the very happy position that what we provide is not generally speaking considered to be a luxury so we proved ourselves to be very resilient partly by proving that people didn't need to spend so much money mm. and partly by selling uh, many hundreds of speeches on the economy Fair enough, yeah How do you, say a company did come to you and said we want this specific person. And that specific person said, for whatever reason, I don't do, I don't do corporates or I don't want to do a corporate for that company. Yeah. How do you... Do you just find a different person? Or, like, what's your, what's your method of trying to resolve something like that? Um, if we felt that we had put the case uh, and the gig was turned down because the client is in fags or nuclear weapons or whatever. Um, I'm going to get Corbyn doing that one, um, <laughs> uh, Then uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't try and make uh, any artist do something against their will. Uh, you know, trying to bribe them with getting, you know, going back to them with more money is not the way to do it. Um, uh, you know, you, 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 you drop it, you move on, you think about another solution to the problem. And there always is one. Okay. And... You said you get a lot of feedback from your uh, client's corporate side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that's also the same way round for the performer. I assume you get their feedback on how the gig went. What an interesting question, Simon, no? said he, being very sincere. Um, no, we rarely, <laughs> we, rarely, that. we okay. rarely hear feedback from the talent. Interesting. I mean, if, if one of our agents is at the gig, then they'll say something. Uh, but we rarely hear hear any feedback from the talent. 
May I, may I give a little tip at this point? Um, if as talent you've done a shaky gig, um, then... Uh, sorry, this is probably out there already. I think this is groundbreaking advice, but it's probably, it's probably now part of the... Um, uh, uh, in stone, in Edstone. Um, if you've had a ropey gig, do not tweet about it afterwards. Okay? You've had that, haven't you? That, we have had it. Yeah. That is so, so... Can I say it once more? So dumb. Uh, because uh, we get very, very, very few complaints. It genuinely is a very, very rare occurrence. And uh, when it does happen, it could happen for any number of reasons. And surprisingly enough, corporate clients are pretty grown up. Yeah? Um, you know, they will acknowledge circumstances or whatever. Because, uh, you know, however much we offer our advice and we try and put the right person in for the gig, it's not our decision in the end, it's the client's decision. Uh, and it won't always be what we uh, most recommend. So people, you know, people do take risks and they don't always work. Um, clients are fine about that. That's not a problem. Mm. But if an artist has gone down the pan, and just to put that in perspective, I, I get the impression it probably happens twice or three times a year for us out of 2,500 gigs. It's very, very rare. Mm. But it happened on one occasion. Yeah, and the artist afterwards tweeted that you know he'd done... I'm not giving anything away by saying he... He'd done a shit gig, uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, the client was deeply unhappy. Do, do you imagine the client wanted to pay after that? Yeah. Or do you imagine the client thought, oh, well, he knew it, yeah? Um, you know, it's, it's accepted, it's up there, it's been stated. Yeah, he died on his bottom. It's a very silly thing to do. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hmm. Don't want to name that one then. No. <laughs> 
Um, what, there are a few misconceptions, I think, around corporate gigs. And I asked uh, in different groups that I moderate online to ask sort of what those are mm-hmm. and what they think they are. Um, one of them that came <coughs> back is that um, corporate gigs could be a little bit of a boys' club uh, and a little bit um, gendered. And I wondered what you thought of that. First of all, I'm loving your use of the word gendered. <laughs> um, I've not come across it used as a, as a verb like that Sorry. before. Um, Yes, ask me the question again, Simon. Um, well, I suppose the, I can rephrase it slightly if you want, but ba- basically they're wondering uh, if it's more, or if there are more gigs for male comedians than female comedians, right. or, whether, or whether it's less appealing, shall we say, or, or they're less likely to get booked as a result of gender issues. Say okay. gender issues, their gender. Um, in the corporate uh, scene... Uh, there is no distinction made at all about whether to hire a male or a female performer. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I think I'm going to say you can take that as a statement of fact. I won't uh, give any time to anybody who disagrees because they're wrong. Uh, it sometimes comes in when we uh, talk to people about speakers or presenters. But it would only really ever come in if um, we're trying to say, listen, everybody you've got speaking at this event is male. Your audience is 80% male. Have you thought about having a woman do this? Yeah? Just so that the whole thing doesn't look solidly male from mm. beginning to end. That's the sort of occasion where it might come in. Um, but uh, no other, which I suppose begs another question, which is why aren't there more women um, uh, doing well on the corporate circuit and making vast amounts of money out of it? And our answer to that is uh, I I wish there were more, Uh, genuinely wish there were more. I am not going to make any um, uh, dangerous, provocative statements about why that is the case. Um, It just is the case that um, there are relatively few women on the stand-up circuit who are talked about for corporate gigs, and even fewer on the after-dinner circuit, by the way. As in, like, doing speeches? As in comedians doing speeches? As in, however you want to draw the distinction. Uh, um, One way of looking at an after-dinner speech is that uh, it's pretty similar material to a stand-up, except that you sit there, you have dinner with them, and you get up behind the table and you do the same shtick. Mm. Uh, it's not as simple as that, but, but uh, that's one way of looking at it. There are very few women doing that, and I wish to goodness there were more. I don't think it's got much to do with the fact that a lot of these audiences, hugely, unfortunately, are still male-dominated. Um, and, uh, you know, we do what we can. But it always upsets me when we're castigated for, uh, you know, not having that much female talent in one area or another. Uh, because what I want to say is it's, it's not for want of trying. We're very, 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 very open to redressing that balance. And I think my only last comment on the subject is that... Um, a pompous warning coming along. Um, is that we live in a world where we expect everything to happen really quickly. Uh, not unreasonably, given you know uh, various movements in the 60s and 70s, um, 
Do you know what? It can happen awfully over an awfully, awfully long time. You know, I, I, I'm not um, comparing stand-ups to judges. Yeah, you know, it obviously, if you have to work your way up the legal ladder, it's going to take a long time for there to be the same number of women judges as, as men judges. But it's not that far off. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, I can see, I can see what you mean when you're sort of... It's a bit, it's a bit like... Uh, it's a bit like when you're in traffic and there's like four cars in front of you before the light and the light changes and you have a go at the car in front of you rather than the one at the very front that should have moved. Do you know what I mean? Like you're the car in front of me. Were you, were you, behind, whereas me? The, were you behind me this morning? <laughs> no, um, whereas the client is actually the one making the decisions of who gets... Because you can suggest, you know... Yeah, the point I'm making is that the client doesn't start off saying, find me a man. Right. Yeah, it never happens. Well, maybe in a different age. I mean, <laughs> um, in, a, in a very different kind of agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, it never happens. Right. Yeah. So if you want to ask the question, well, hang on a second, there are loads of women on the stand-up circuit. Why aren't there more, you know, making the uh, jump, whatever word you want to use, into, into the whole corporate thing? I mean, that's, that's a much more difficult question for me to answer. I don't really know. Um, it, 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 you know, it's something to do with telly. Um, it's something, you know, much as much as we prioritise talent over profile in this office, uh, you, you have to accept the fact that, um, uh, you know, it's easy to sell somebody somebody they've heard of or have a reference to or can see on the box, um, and so that does make a difference. Um, and I suppose there's something about. Uh, let me try and put this another way I've just seen a vast great hole into which I could fall so I'm going to try and stop myself from falling into it um, the corporate circuit uh, is, is rarely going to warm to anybody who uses it as a soapbox right. for anything and so an act who treats the stage as a political soapbox, whether we're talking about gender politics or any other kind of politics, is going to find it harder than uh, somebody who's funny. Okay? In a, in maybe in like a whimsical way rather than a... No, I meant it very deliberately, than somebody oh, who's funny. Okay, sorry. Okay? Right. Um, and... and um, uh, you know, a comic with a with, with with a point to prove, yeah, seemingly more importantly to them than getting laughs, yeah, is is not going to endear themselves to the corporate scene because that you know they're not this isn't this isn't a, a rally, you know, um, and you'll still get audiences whooping at a point they agree with, yeah. You're not talking about a row of suits who only laugh at, you know, one-liners. Um, but to relate to them, um, you've got, first of all, to avoid putting up a bloody great brick wall between you and them. And uh, the best way of putting up a brick wall uh, is to proselytise. What about when their subject matter or their agenda or whatever you want to phrase it as suits or fits in with the company itself 
So say there was a specific comedian that does a lot of stuff on uh, global warming or you know, Greenpeace, or so, and then Greenpeace contacts you. Where does that stand then? I think the lazy word for all of this is that's a bit niche. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll want to put somebody who's got some shtick about global warming uh, in front of a room full of people who've got some shtick about global warming. Um, and you could probably put that person in front of any audience, but only if they had something to say about something else. Hmm. Yeah, you know, in front of a room full of people who, you know, sell software, uh, why would you put somebody whose who's only frame of reference uh, is global warming? There's a certain thing to be said about if you don't see someone or you don't see certain... I'm trying to think about how to phrase it. Say, for example, I never saw male comedians on panel shows, right? There might be something in it that I would think it's not something I could aspire to do because I'm not seeing it. So do you think if women are not getting booked through clients of, you know, like at the client end, enough of them have been told that, oh, we're not getting booked for client, like for client-side stuff which means there's no point even going forward for it. Do you think there's like sort of a, if you've not seen that as a possibility, they might not ask their agents to even put them forward for it? I, I, I'd be horrified if, if there were people uh, having those thoughts and drawing those conclusions. Uh, that's, that's completely and utterly wrong. Uh, I, I get the point you're making about, you know, drawing inferences from what we see on television or hear on the radio. Mm. Um, and I didn't approve of the you know, uh, edict that came from whoever it was. Is it Danny Cohn? I can't remember. Uh, about, you know, every panel show has to have at least one woman on it. Um, I approve of the idea. I just don't approve of it being publicised as an edict. Um, uh, but, you know, that, that, let's not go down that tangent. Um, I, 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 I think it is important um, to show to people at a certain stage of their development that this is something they can do. I wouldn't be as grand as that about the corporate thing. The corporate thing is, is pragmatism. Right. Yeah? It's, you know, uh, be funny. It's not hugely more complicated than that. I mean, it's a bit more complicated. Do you want me, do you want me to throw out a few tips at this point? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, don't offend the audience. My, yeah, my question originally was about client feedback and, and swearing or not keeping to a, right. a theme or time or anything okay. like that. So, yeah, okay. if you want to... Well, I'll, I'll trot through, uh, through, through uh, 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 a few of those things. Um, uh, you can swear, but not gratuitously. Um, I think it's the same rule that applies uh, in any other context, really, which is, you know, if it helps the the rhythm of the gag, then swear. Uh, if you want to swear to shock people, don't, because it won't. It'll just distance them. Um, if uh, the word fuck is funnier in a gag or a story than the word um, bloody, then use the word fuck. Um, I, I think there is a quite a sort of outdated assumption that, uh, that one has to be especially careful. One has to be as careful as one would uh, with any room full of strangers outside a comedy club. But I, 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 
I would say it's pretty much the same as in a comedy club. Um, you know, if all you're going to do is say the word fuck, then presumably after a while they, they stop laughing. It's not, it's not wildly funny, is it? I, um, I don't really swear, so... No. Well, I, funnily enough, I do. Um, <laughs> but that's not the point. Um, the other thing you need to do, uh, these are a few little tips. Um, if we start with the don'ts first. Um, you don't thank them for uh, buying you a new kitchen. Okay. <laughs> Even if it's the only reason you have done the gig, don't say it. It is idiotic. You are putting up a wall instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is um, have some respect for what they do and what they're doing there. If what they do is very mainstream, you probably can't get away with saying you don't understand anything about it. But if what they do is very, very weird and esoteric, you certainly can get away with saying, you know, I don't understand what's a so-and-so. Yeah? But the best way to get the audience on your side from the moment you walk out onto the stage is to show as quickly as you can that you care about being there and you found out something about them. The best introduction, the best opening line I have ever, ever seen was uh, from a guy I used to look after called John Lenahan. Um, we were doing a corporate gig, not a big one, 100 or so people, somewhere in the West End, not wildly flashy. And uh, John and I went to the, uh, be briefed by uh, the organiser half an hour or so before he went on. And they'd already sent through various things in advance, and John had done a bit of homework. But this organiser said, uh, oh, by the way, you'll be introduced by the big boss. Everybody loves him, yeah? Everybody loves him. He's known for being a bit of a baby face, yeah? So, and by the way, this isn't going to sound funny when I tell you. Um, so uh, we nodded, John got the point, whatever. This guy introduces him on stage. John walks out on stage, and he says... Uh, He's an American, by the way. says, uh, thanks so much for that introduction, Derek. And uh, sure, it's good to see you in long trousers. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I have no idea where that accent came from. I apologize for it from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> I was going to ask but what state you were Sure <laughs> is, I think sort of somewhere in the middle of Australia. Um, <laughs> sure is good to see you in long trousers. Mm. Okay? And it got the biggest reception that I have ever seen mm. in any context, corporate or otherwise, mm huge headline name or unknown. Yeah. Sure, it's good to see you in long trousers because what he'd said was, I know that guy, I know what you think of that guy, mm. and I want to be part of the gang. Yeah. And afterwards, he could have read out the telephone directory and they would have been splitting their sides. Yeah? Yeah. A speaker who gave up the circuit years ago, wonderful, wonderful speaker, he wouldn't necessarily have ever expected to be on it uh, a sociologist called Laurie Taylor who now does uh, still does a show on Radio 4 he used to have this shtick for that is what it was um, of opening his speech which was a sort of inspirational type thing um, by saying uh, I know nothing about you yeah but he then said uh, I'm just looking around the room as I speak 
um, let's assume that this company he was speaking to yeah, made office furniture. Yeah? Mm. He says, I know nothing about your office chairs. I know nothing about the framing you use. I don't know anything about that colour on the wall. I don't know anything about those light fittings. That glass, I know nothing about. Yeah? So what he was actually doing was, in a way that I haven't conveyed at all, was reeling off the brand names, the department mm. names, every single thing that company did mm. yeah, as a memory test which was breathless, and it took nearly a minute, and always got a round of applause at the end. Mm. Yeah? Because he'd bothered to learn, and at the same time, exquisitely, was saying, I'm not an expert in what you do. Yeah. Yeah? Those kind of tricks are fantastic. Mm. Um, what else is there? Um, so, so custom material is... Well, I think you've got to be quite careful with custom material. Um, just imagine if you uh, worked in uh, meat packaging, which used to be my favourite audience. Um, <coughs> there really is an audience uh, in meat packaging, which uh, you could easily assume was all about meat or all about packaging. It isn't. It is purely about where meat meets packaging. And um, I have no idea why they came up into my mind, apart from the fact that whenever they do, I smile. Um, uh, the point is... They are going to have heard every gag about meat and packaging. Mm. Yeah? You ain't going to come up with anything new there. So, so bear that in mind. Mm. Yeah? Um, you know, read the trade magazine um, and maybe ask the organiser a few questions about it. But don't pretend that means you understand the industry. Yeah. I think having a respect for it um, is the safest route to take. Yeah, yeah, it makes more sense. And why wouldn't you have a respect for it? Yeah. You know, these people aren't the opposition. Even though you're getting paid a lot of money for it, it does not make them the devil. And if you think it does make them the devil, then you are in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah? And you shouldn't do them. And there are a couple of, there are a couple of artists who used to annoy me for turning down corporate stuff. And as time was worn, I thought, do you know what? They were so right. <laughs> yeah, just don't do it if you don't get the fact that they're not the devil. Yeah, one of the other misconceptions, or not misconceptions, one of the other stereotypes of corporate gigs is that they're selling out. Why? What, are, you, are you asking me? Well, no, I, I, I don't believe. I don't. What's the argument? I don't understand. What you mean that they're, 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 what they do is somehow the, pure art, and, and doing it for money is selling out. No, that they're doing it for, instead of doing it in the, the, the clubs and the places that are purpose-built for comedy, they're doing them in, well, I mean, I don't know, they might be doing a corporate gig in a purpose-built venue, you never know, but, um, yeah, they're doing it for, for a business and it's sort of, um, I don't know, yeah. It sort of taints the whole thing. Maybe. Because, uh, you know, the company is taking advantage of all those zero hours contract workers and uh, they are the incarnation of the devil uh, well you know fine um, it, you know uh, of course go and have that view uh, and enjoy your life in penury um, it, 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 it's not how the world works I think it's uh, naive and I think it's rather comical uh, no pun intended to uh, hide behind the cloak of, uh, of, of uh, desire not to sell out. Just don't do them. It's not selling out. What are the Haymarket rules? 
Where did you find out about those? <laughs> um, uh, an agent contacted me and asked me if I could ask that question. Ah. Uh, it so happens that they stem from uh, one of our corporate clients, uh, where we Is spent, <laughs> where, where, indeed, where we spent a lot of time going through with them uh, in a in an intelligent fashion, mm. what was and what wasn't uh, on, uh, and it covers uh, things like swearing mm. uh, and you know bringing anything into disrepute. Um, but it was done with a guy who unfortunately is not there anymore, who absolutely got it from the artist's point of view. Mm. Yeah, it was done not wanting uh, to uh, overly constrain the talent. Okay. Um, so that's what it is. It's just it's a it's a it's a sensible. Uh, I don't know whether it's two sides of paper. I have to say it's many years since I've looked at it, um, but it's basically. Um, um, don't take the piss out of key individuals. That's not a corporate don't. Uh, because you're not going to know whether they're a key individual or not. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you need to have those kind of sensitivities, but not overly so. Mm. Um, I just remembered another ghastly story from a gig where an artist picked on somebody in the audience because he was going down a storm. Yeah, at a corporate gig. I mean, the room was just with him. But there was one chap who wasn't laughing. And rather than leave him alone, the act carried on, picked on him, kept going back to him. Yeah. Uh, and predictably, you'd have heard hundreds of stories like this. He comes off stage only to be told that that guy had recently had a stroke, couldn't move his face, uh, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so there's yeah. always a good reason for kind of dropping it. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, at certain points, that's not particular to the corporate market. No, no, I think. God, I can't, I can't get the notion of selling out out of my head. Uh, maybe I sold out as a, as an adolescent, <laughs> um, but I certainly don't see it as anything so grand uh, as uh, selling out. I tell you who those people should talk to, or they should go and read his book. Anybody who thinks that doing corporate stuff is selling out, um, go and talk to Will Gompertz, BBC arts editor, or read one of his books. Uh, who will explain that? Um, uh, who will explain that that uh, very many uh, household name artists throughout the ages have first and foremost been entrepreneurs? It's money is part of it. Mm. Okay, and it can still be art mm. if you really want it to be. Um, when it comes to uh, the venue setup for a corporate gig. Mm-hmm. How often is it in a purpose-built like comedy club, and how often is it in like a like a space that they've rented for? It's going to be in a space. It's never, by and large, going to be in a comedy club. I mean, I, I suppose you can go along to Don and hire the the store, and um, and do a corporate gig there. He'd probably love you to. Um, but you know, ninety nine point whatever percent uh, is going to be in. A hotel or a conference room or some such thing, not designed for performance. Ideally, it won't have pillars. Ideally, people will be able to see. Um, ideally, uh, somebody will have put sound in. Um, uh, God knows. God knows how you cope as an act. Uh, when you walk into a room to discover that they're using the in-house sound system of a hotel. 
from you know from my point of view, uh, I think I would probably forgive an act uh, walking away at that point. So, how much of that's that's off the record, by the yeah. way? That last comment. How much? Uh, how much like sort of information do you get told about the venue before? Or do you book the venues? I mean, no, no, we have nothing whatsoever to do with the venues. Okay. Um, you don't get told a very great deal. So um, we, we should know them. Mm. Uh, I would hope we will be familiar with most venues. And you can make a few generalisations, um, like be very careful about playing the London museums, uh, you know, which were built for things like dinosaurs and not things like stand-ups. That wonderful expression you got on Simon. Have you died at the Natural History Museum? I have died at the Natural History Museum. Fantastic. <laughs> it's a rite of passage, isn't it? I it think was, everybody has. I to. really enjoyed it, but yeah. the audience did not. <laughs> well, they wouldn't have heard it. Huh? They wouldn't have heard it. Well, at least they wouldn't have heard it very it well. It wasn't in the main hall, right, so okay. it was okay. Okay. But I, it was. Yeah. It was a very interesting. It was one of my first corporate. It's an actual. Well, you see, you've got, you've got over it now. Um, yeah, it's been three years. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. You think, um, you think, you know... I'm sorry to have opened up the wound all yeah. over again. Uh, uh, Royal okay. Courts of Justice is another, is another one to avoid. Uh, oh, they just emailed, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> From a stand-up point of view, that's a, that's a murderously difficult room to play. Um, and people used to say that, that um, you know, when I started in the business, uh, um, the great room at Grosvenor House was... You know, it was compared to the Glasgow Empire. It was a mausoleum of comedy. Mm. Uh, it isn't anymore. It's just a fucking big room. Uh, but the reason it was a mausoleum of comedy is because back in those days, they used to have a hydraulic dance floor, which meant that you generally didn't put tables on it because you'd have to move them off for dancing, mm. which meant that there was an acre of space between the stage and where they usually put the top table. Right. So it was a mausoleum because it's very difficult to get a feeling of intimacy mm. um, when you've got audience on the, on the vast great balcony and all the way around the room, but nobody mm. immediately in front of you. Uh, it scared people uh, quite reasonably. And so if a performer turned up and found out that, I don't know, the, the stage was in a, like one side of the room that meant that audience couldn't see them yep. or, or they felt that the sound system wasn't you know, enough and they asked to bring in a different... You know, if, if they wanted to make suggestions to make the gig better, yep. is that allowed or is that written into their contract? They just, they just perform... I mean, what's the... Uh, I think you use your common sense, um, as in uh, be polite and persuasive rather than uh, issue threats mm. um, and uh, do it all in the spirit of wanting to help uh, because you want to make sure that they have the best possible show. Mm. Uh, and if you do that in the right way, then somebody will be ever so grateful. Mm. If you go in and say, I can't go on like this, um, you've got to give me a bit of staging so I can put in the middle of the dance floor, and I'm not going to use the stage because it's too far away or whatever, um, then you're going to alienate them. I mean, you might survive the day. You might even get paid, but you'd never get rebooked. Mm. Um, so show a bit of nous. Mm. Um, you will, in the course of your career, uh, find yourself performing in the most ludicrous spaces. My, um, my favorite was getting a call one night uh, from an act. It was probably the early-ish days of mobile phones. Yeah? As I remember him calling me from the wings. Uh, 
And he said, uh, did they tell you they were going to be dancing fountains? <laughs> That's great. I said, no. Where are they? He said, well, they're between me and the audience. I said, right. <coughs> and I said, uh, will they switch them off? <laughs> and he said, nope, they absolutely refuse to. Wow. And uh, I mean, we were laughing, and I'm laughing now at the thought of it. Yeah. Because uh, it's funny, isn't it? You can, you know, yeah. you can go back and tell your kids that you once had to perform yeah. uh, through artificial rain it, to 800 people <laughs> who could neither hear, see, or give a damn about what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah, you could, you could almost say anything at that point, and it's kind you of... You could. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think what's funnier is the story that came out of that rather than the set that he probably did. Oh, isn't life so often like that? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I spoke to a friend the other day um, who, was, who was seeing someone and uh, this person's being thoroughly inappropriate and they were like, I might meet up with them just one more time to see. And I said, only do that if you think the story is going to be better with that addition to it yeah. Yeah. rather than just because you are curious. I think if the story will get improved and she said, yeah, I'll probably get a better joke out. <laughs> you see, exactly. You, your, your advice is absolutely, absolutely yeah, spot on. That's what and, I do. I would do exactly the same. Life is... Mm. Life is no more than uh, a rather slow process of collecting material. Yeah. Of jokes, for me anyway. Whatever. Okay. Um, these are the quick fire questions. Uh, Go for it. But you can take as long as Does you want. Does that mean you want, want quick them. fire? No? You don't no, want... no, you take as long as you want. These are just okay. the quick ones that I ask everyone. So, okay. I, well, norm- Blue. <laughs> Normally. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought it was going to be a favourite colour or. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, 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 no never, never that trivial, but okay. thanks for letting us know. Okay. Um, the, well, the normal question would be, what are the best books that you'd recommend, but you've already recommended, what was the name of that book? Have I? Yeah, the one by the BBC guy about um, the entrepreneurs. It's, such, it's an age thing, my short-term memory is getting okay. absolutely dreadful these days. Um, I would, oh, Will Gompertz, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, if you're going to ask me about books about comedy, then uh, you know my advice would be to ignore all of them. Um, read Trollope. 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 What's that? Um, a Trollope, as opposed to uh, J Trollope. Anthony Trollope. Very funny. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, church politics, nineteenth century. Very funny. Okay. Uh, but don't read books about comedy, for goodness' sake. Okay. Yawn, yawn. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you've ever Don't made? Don't write one either. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you saw you saw a glint in my eye. Um, what are the what's the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it? Maybe mistake's the wrong word because you don't like the word mistake or regret. So, well, in pure financial terms, uh, my biggest mistake was probably turning down uh, the opportunity to have exclusive rights over commercial karaoke machines in this country in the mid-'80s, which I said went against the entire British sort of uh, spirit of being rather withdrawn. Uh, We weren't the kind of people who were going to want to sing in public and go, yo, very much. Uh, So that was a bit of a mistake. Uh, And I'm sure there have been countless others. How did you overcome it? Well, maybe a bit like what you were saying with your gig in the Natural History Museum. Maybe I, maybe I never have. <laughs> I've overcome mine, thank you very much. Okay, well, we'll have, we'll have a session therapy, together. But I've <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Um, what is the most interesting thing that you do that nobody ever sees? Uh, 
I, I write or compile a talent directory every year, uh, of which comedy only forms a relatively small part. Uh, and obviously people can see that, but what they don't see, uh, and the only reason this is in my mind is because it's what I'm doing right now, uh, what they don't see is me uh, deciding, not always necessarily unilaterally, I take counsel from the office, but uh, in the end, me deciding whether or not somebody is in uh, and whether or not uh, and how they should be described. Um, and that's enormous fun. Is that available somewhere or is it? That... Uh, no, it's not available anywhere. Right. Uh, it's not the point is me thinking, you know, that person's been around forever. They're a bit yesterday's news. Um, we're all about today and tomorrow mm. uh, with great respect for yesterday, mm-hmm. not churning out the same old stuff. Okay. Brackets, advice to comics, move your act on. Uh, as important for the corporate scene as it is for telly. Mm-hmm. Close, brackets. Close brackets. Next question. Um, who, who do you think is the most underrated person in your section of the industry? Uh, not absolutely sure I can answer that. Uh, I think almost all politicians are dramatically underrated, by the way. Uh, not necessarily as performers, but as uh, useful members of society. Uh, and very often as performers. Um, who is underrated? Well, I sp- I'm harking back a little bit, but years ago, uh, I used to look after this guy who was still on the circuit. Uh, up, no, in, no. up in Scotland okay. and he always was underrated and by virtue of the fact that he is not packing out the O2 these days he is still underrated uh, and that's a wonderful wonderful comedian called Michael Redmond yeah, yeah. yeah I know Michael Redmond one of the funniest people ever to set foot on the earth for a long time known as the comics comic. Um, heaven-sent timing, wonderful freshness. Uh, you know, you could... It used to happen to Michael quite a lot that people would, would go to clubs and see him again and, and they'd shout out the gag he wanted, yeah? Mm. That, that, that they wanted to hear, you know? Yeah. Tell us the Mars bar gag. Uh, and you just don't get that very often. No. Uh, he's very special, he ought to have been um, a successor to Dave Allen, uh, which sounds a bit like sort of stereotyping, but anyway. Um, and, and sadly, he will always remain a bit of a secret. Yes, no, but that's, I quite like that. I have a few comedians I, I kind of hope stay sort of below the... Re- no, genuinely, because I like being able to recommend them to people. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? Um, I'm not sure I'd presume to have that many answers, but I, I can talk from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have excellent relationships with most managers and agents. Um, what might occasionally improve things is if uh, uh, they were sometimes less indulgent towards their talent, more prepared to 
ensure that their feet remained on the ground, uh, more realistic about the fees, because if you go in too high, you've got nowhere else to go. Uh, if they got them to understand some of the things I've been saying about not being a pain when you get there, it would be in their interests, by which I mean the talent and the agent. Mm. But I think there's a quite natural and entirely misplaced um, sort of um, instinct on the part of the agent, uh, which is to defend their talent, yeah, and to uh, you know agree it was the audience's fault. Um, I, I mean, I'm sort of saying that slightly tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, why do they want me to get there at six o'clock? I'm not on stage until half past nine. Tough shit. How much are you getting for this gig? Yeah? Now, when we're booking that talent, by the way, we are not always going to indulge the corporate client. We are going to want a good reason why they want that person there at six o'clock. Because we don't think it's a good idea for somebody to be hanging around for three and a half hours. Mm. Yeah? But if there is a good reason, and we say there's a good reason, then the agent should accept that and should tell the talent not to whine. Okay? That's one way I'd improve things. Um, so far as the talent itself is concerned, I would say they should be uh, braver. Uh, I would say they should... Uh, probably, you know, you could argue what right do I have to say this. I think I'd probably agree with you. Um, but um, I think they should sort of work out what makes their idols funny rather than try and copy them. Um, I think they should be politically adventurous, uh, which means if they are that kind of comic... It's a bit lazy and probably unfunny to lay into you kippers. Yeah, I mean, there would have been a moment, there might be another little splutter of a moment where it works. Uh, but there's so much fun to be had to, you know, laying into Corbyn supporters. It's, it's um, what, an interesting thing happened when, when I set up JLA, which was in 1990. Um, and it was uh, a week or so after Thatcher had left office. And uh, what was interesting in the comedy circuit then, which is all I was concerned with at the time, um, is that nobody was making Thatcher gags anymore because they'd done them. Yeah? They had nothing new to say about her. Uh, and a lot of them were starting to think about their kids' education and mortgages and stuff. And they realised you know, they'd kind of moved on. But the real point is that you know, the gags had been done. Why, why carry on doing them? Yeah? I, I think it's quite important for any comic to understand where we are at a given point in time uh, and not to be too lazy about it. So um, look for the, look for the, for the, for the butts uh, which haven't yet been well and truly beaten up. Well, uh, and for me, it would be uh, Jeremy Corbyn. But thankfully, I'm not a stand-up. Uh, next question, I'll give you a, 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 a one-word answer. That was the last question. Shit. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's your one. Uh, oh, I had a few, okay, fine. I had, a few, I had a few others I could ask you, but I feel like you've pretty much answered them all. 
Okay. Thanks. Well, I'm, I'm sorry if I've uh, rambled. No, you haven't. Um, is there anything else you want me to say which might be of genuine help to if, comics getting on the circuit? If you have anything you would like to add, go ahead. Can I say one last thing? Yeah, go for do it. Do you mind? No. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, sorry. Yeah? No, no. no I think you need to talk to my people. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I would say to any comics... Uh, forming a view about corporate gigs um, is not to look down your nose at them. Yeah? By which I mean, you know, the whole idea of, 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 of almost sort of holding your nose and taking the money and saying to it, um, that's, that's, it's silly and it's wrong. Um, you certainly don't want to spend all your life doing them because uh, the few acts who've done that have found that they're very much, you know, slipped off the radar for, for, for telly and radio. And they've got used to fantastic money and then it dries up and, you know, they'll find other people can fill theatres and they can't. Um, but at the risk of sounding like an independent financial advisor, uh, first time we talked it was about your mortgage. Um, at the risk of sounding like one of those people, uh, you should have a, a mixture of assets as it were, uh, and learning to do the corporate thing and enjoying the relatively rich rewards of it without compromising your principles is a jolly, jolly good idea, but it should never be all that you do, nor should it be your highest aspiration. That was Jeremy. I really loved how open and honest he was about his area of the industry and his thoughts on cracking into the circuit. As he pointed out, there was a generational gap between the two of us and and as a result, all of his views were really refreshing and really interesting and a really good way of looking at the corporate circuit in a way that maybe I don't get to hear from people who are my peers who are probably in the same mindset of them as I am. So hopefully this was useful for you. If you got something out of it and you'd like to support the podcast, please consider sharing it on some of your social media accounts. Uh, Don't forget to tag me in them so I can thank you for doing that. That'd be great. Other ways you can support the podcast are by leaving a review in iTunes. Just leave an honest review. It can either be a star review or a text review or both. The future guests are all reading them. I know I keep saying that, but they genuinely are. And it helps me get on bigger and better guests because some of them are really interested in knowing people are actually listening, surprisingly enough. So please do consider doing that if you can. If you would like to financially support the podcast, please consider becoming a patron from $1 an episode. That's only 80p. Do you think this episode of the podcast was worth 80p to you? If it was, please consider signing up at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Ask the Industry Podcast. There is a link in the show notes and on the website. And if you don't want to do a regular donation, you can do it on PayPal as a one-off donation. Just put a monetary value on what you think each episode was worth, times it by the amount of episodes you've been listening to, and then send that to me. Uh, All the money goes back into future shows and continuing the project. So that'd be great. Also, don't forget to join the Ask the Industry podcast group on Facebook. It's called Ask the Industry, and it's on Facebook, of course. Also, please don't go just yet. Don't go just yet. I know this has been a long outro, but I would really appreciate 25 seconds more of your time. Please consider pre-ordering a copy of my book how to make a living by working for free on indiegogo it's five pound for a digital copy or eight pound for a paperback copy it's taken two years for me to write it's a how-to guide for artists and freelancers to build an audience around what they do and create a community around that 
and then ask that community to support them so they can continue creating the things that they love and that the community values. So if you found this podcast interesting and you value it in any way and you have something that you would like to launch or create and you want to make yourself a audience and a community around it, please consider buying a copy because it helps me continue creating stuff and it will hopefully provide you with the tools that will allow you to continue creating the stuff that you want to create in the long term. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating. Thank you very much for sharing. So thank you very much for buying my book if you do. I will see you in about 10 days. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.